0: Our New Testament reading today comes from Matthew chapter 5. We'll be reading verse 21 to 26. Hear the word of the Lord. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. If you've been with us for much of the series so far on the Ten Commandments, I hope you're starting to see that you know, each of these commandments, although they're maybe limited in form, right, they're short, um, they're, they're actually much more expansive, They carry with them implications that uh, will touch every part of your life, every part of your home, every part of our culture. They have something to say to everyone, even if you don't think they do when you first look at them. For instance, when you come to the sixth commandment, and it says, you shall not murder, probably some of us say, check... Right? Like I got that one. I might not have all of that, but I got that one. I hear my son over there. He's agreeing. You shall not murder sounds like something that you have, uh, you have been able to check off the list. And yet, Jesus here, in Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, he tells us it's much more expansive than that. When Jesus says, but you have heard it said, but I tell you. He's not saying, don't listen to that. No, he's saying it means much more than you realize. Yes, if you murder someone, if you unlawfully take the life of another person, you are liable to judgment. But that's true if you murder someone in spirit as well. It's true if you kill someone's good name. It's true if you insult someone. ...and cause them to despair. Jesus says that if you call someone a fool... ...you will be liable to the hell of fire. Now, of course, he couldn't mean... ...just insulting someone. Right? Something little like that. We all do that, right? That he couldn't mean that. That's exactly what he means. You know, maybe this isn't giving your buddies a hard time... but when you speak out of anger to harm somebody, whether it's a careless word of attack or it's very directly meant, either way you are breaking the sixth commandment. You can break this commandment with your tongue and with your heart, not just with your hands. And it may not be as heinous or consequential, right? When you uh, speak in a way that you shouldn't towards someone else, when you insult them, that may not be as consequential in certain ways, it may not be as heinous of a sin, and yet, it's still, Jesus says, liable to judgment. You may not be carrying that insult out to its logical conclusion, but that is where murder begins, with that anger and hatred in your heart. Remember Cain. You remember Cain, the first son of Adam and Eve. He didn't start with murder. He didn't start by taking the life of his brother Abel. He started by being angry with him, by being envious of him. The sin of murder was crouching at the door, and he let it in by his anger, by his envy. One of the ways that God's law works to sanctify you who are in Christ... ...is that it, it works to pull sin up by the root. Right? It doesn't just trim around the edges. And that's what we want a lot of the time. Because the roots of sin... ...if we're honest, those go deep. Right? Those, are, those are deep. Those roots wrap around our heart. They wrap around some of our vital organs. To rip out those roots may mean that we have to die and that's exactly what needs to happen you have to die to yourself lest you kill yourself or others and that's painful it will be painful but when those roots are pulled imagine what's what's left when those weeds with their roots and all are are pulled out imagine the the kind of Soil, the ground that is left ready for the planting of the Lord, for fruit-bearing trees, for holy root systems, for the planting of the Lord. Anger and envy and hatred, these are all, in fact, the seedbed of murder. And Jesus tells you to repent even of these. His judgment leaves no stone unturned, so you won't be able to hide from them. And maybe you think at times... you can hide from other people... and sometimes that's right. Most likely, you think that you're hiding your anger... and your envy better than you actually are. People probably see it more than you realize. But maybe you can hide it from others for a time. You can't hide it from the Lord. Just like Cain, even the ground will cry out... and you will be found out. But that's a hopeful thing. If you are in Christ... That's a good thing. That you be found out. That your sin be found out. That you stop hiding from God so that you can start hiding in God. That you be found out now so that you can find yourself in Christ. That's our desire as we look at God's word this morning. The scripture reading today comes from Exodus 20 verse 13... And although this is maybe the, the text that I'm focusing on in a way, we'll actually be going to other texts throughout the service, especially in Genesis 3 and 4. And so you may want to uh, turn to those as well. But Genesis or Exodus rather, Exodus 20, verse 3, uh, verse 13 rather says this: "You shall not murder." ...you shall not murder. This is God's inspired word for us this morning. In the beginning was the Word... ...and the Word was with God... ...and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God said, let there be light and there was light. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In order to... Understand the sixth commandment, the commandment against murder, it seems right that we would start with a meta narrative of life. God Himself is life. Life is not an intrinsic quality of matter, it's something that is bestowed by the One who is Himself, the fount of all life. It's not wrong to say that we are alive, that we live, that there is life in other creatures, but all life outside of God himself is dependent life. It's not the source. God himself is the only one that truly lives in the most fundamental sense. He is alive and he gives life. We receive it. It's the breath of life that comes by his Holy Spirit in whom we live, move, and have our being. We exist because he exists. We live because he lives. Death, then, is a judgment. It is to be cut off from the source of life. The very fact that we can lose life that we can be cut off from, it tells us that we can't be the source. But God, when he made mankind, imbued him, imbued us with his very image. And we're told he breathed life into him. And so man doesn't just die in the way of other creatures. We die in body and yet the soul goes on existing forever. But that doesn't mean you go on living forever. Life is not just existence, it's not just physical stimulation, it is a spiritual reality of union with the triune creator God. Though I die, we're told in scripture, yet I will live. The Apostle Paul says to be away from the body is to be at home with the Lord. So those of you who die now but have that union will live, truly live. And one day your body will be raised and meet you in that eternal life. But for those of you who stay under the judgment and power of death. For those of you who stay dead in that way, who never have known union with the triune God, your body will die and your spirit will die and in the resurrection you will go on dying forever. This is what we're told in Scripture is called the second death. What is it to exist but not to live? It's nothing good death is a judgment Adam and Eve sinned against God and though by God's grace they were not struck dead instantly yet they did die they were severed from the true life of God removed from paradise with him from walking with him in the cool of the day from eating of the tree of life they were cut off and all with them You were cut off with them. All of humanity plunged into the judgment of death. John Milton in Paradise Lost puts these words in Adam's mouth when he realizes the curse that's upon him and upon those who come after him. He says, all that I eat or drink or shall beget is propagated curse. O voice once heard delightfully, Increase and multiply, now death to hear. For what can I increase or multiply but curses on my head? Death is a judgment. It's a great curse and it's one that we asked for. To be cut off from the life of God, to sin against him and others who are made in his image. This is to desire death to choose death, every unjust word, every insult, every act against your fellow man's good, every burning, angry thought, all of it, death. Man, apart from God, propagates curse, multiplies death. So much of our time is taken up in simply trying to avoid physical death trying to keep death at bay because we know it's a curse we know it's nothing good if if we were merely matter and if death was merely the end of an otherwise meaningless existence we wouldn't fear it we wouldn't hide from it or run from it but we do fear it Adam once again from Paradise Lost in John Milton's words says alas both for the deed and for the cause but have I now seen death? Is this the way I must return to native dust? Oh sight of terror, foul and ugly to behold horrid to think, how horrible to feel. This is the fall. This is the the downfall of mankind. And the sentence of death comes in the curse on Adam and Eve. We find this in Genesis 3. In Genesis 3.16, we have the curse of the woman and then the man. It says, to the woman, God said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Pain, struggle, conflict, toil, and then a return to dust. This is the judgment of being cut off from the source of life in the triune God. But that wasn't the only curse. Just before... The curse on the man and the woman, we have the curse on the serpent. What Revelation calls the the great dragon, the devil himself. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Did you catch it? Right in the middle of that curse. What really is a curse on the curse bringer. Did you hear what God said? I will put enmity between your offspring and her offspring. Your seed and her Seed, what is seed? Isn't it a kind of life? And he, the seed of the woman, will crush the head of the serpent. Will crush the head of the death dealer. It's, It's a promise that life will come from the woman right in the middle of what ends with a return to dust. With a statement of death, a curse of death. Did you catch it? Adam did When Adam heard this, he caught it. Why do I say that? Well, because Adam believed God and he repented of his sin. Genesis 3, verse 20, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them repentance, and faith, and forgiveness. It's all right there. Where, you might ask? Where exactly is it? We just read the verse together, but where where is that coming from? Well, first, Adam repents. What was Adam's sin? Eating the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But he allowed his wife to do it first, to listen to the serpent, and then he followed her lead. He had been given the duty to guard and to keep the garden and all that were in it, including his wife. And when the dragon came, what should he have done? Right, what, kids, what should you do when a dragon comes? You should kill it. That's what you do to dragons. Right, he should have cut its head clean off. And instead he stood there. He let his wife speak with the devil. He allowed her to go into harm's way, allowed her to make the decision, maybe because he thought he could then have someone to blame. And then he followed the dragon and followed the woman. Men, this is your father. And ladies, you aren't off the hook, right? The woman was deceived. She listened to a dragon and usurped her husband's role gladly. She is your mother. Adam had the role of naming the, the various creatures on earth because he held a position of authority. He had called the woman, woman, because she was taken out of man. But when it mattered most, when that authority mattered the most, he neglected it, And because of it, all mankind was cursed but he repents the man called his wife's name Eve he repented and he once again took up his role that God had given to him she was the one that was deceived but he let her he tried to blame her no more he names her again He does what he was always supposed to do. He turned from his sin, from his rebellion, and he turned to God, taking his proper place in the hierarchy of creation. And he believed God. He repented and he believed God. He heard that promise that God made in the curse on the serpent, the promise of life of the propagation of life through the woman, the kind of life that would destroy this death dealer. And so the man calls his wife's name Eve, because he says she was the mother of all living, because she was going to be a life giver, not a propagator of curse and death, but a life giver. She would be the first in a chain that would someday lead to life. Overwhelming life. Abundant life. Having repented and believed God, you could say that it was counted to him as righteousness. He was forgiven. God kills the first animal. I have to assume it was a lamb. And he covers Adam and Eve with the skins he takes the life of another a sacrificial animal and covers them with life death leads to life for them they are forgiven can you imagine then with all of that the hope that they would have felt when Cain was born The woman struggles through the pain and difficulty of carrying a child to term and then out in the wilderness goes through birth pains. Pains and suffering that she had never known before. But then he's here. Right, the relief. Here is a child. A boy. An offspring. Maybe this is the one. No. No, this... This isn't, this is propagated curse. Genesis 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought... ...of the firstborn of his flock... ...and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering... ...but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry... ...and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you. But you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Cain gives way to anger and to envy And so he kills his brother. 1 John 3 tells us that Cain murdered Abel because he knew that his deeds were wicked, but his brothers were righteous. He becomes the first murderer. And remember, what is death? It's a judgment. For Cain to murder Abel, what is he saying? That he's the judge. That death belongs to him. And if man is made in God's image, it isn't just to murder a man, but to take the judgment of God into your own hands. As if you could judge him. As if you could judge others. To murder is to unjustly take the life of another. To shed one's blood is to take their life. Because as we're told, life is in the blood. Because death is a judgment, it only belongs to God. Just as life only belongs to him. Life is in the blood. Blood represents life. But what's interesting is that Abel's life was taken by Cain, but it didn't end. Cain couldn't do that because he wasn't God. You aren't God. You think that you can take life, but that is only a partial truth. Abel's life, his blood went on. What does it say? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. His was a righteous life. It was built on the foundation of God's grace in sacrifice. And so, even in death, it lives. It cries out. His life goes on. The sons of Cain would continue their bloodshed. They continued their war against the righteous seed of the woman. The war against God's people started by their father, the devil. But death was not ultimately theirs. And so the life of the righteous wasn't totally destroyed. It can't be. Because life is something that belongs to God. Because God is the source of all life. This life cried out from the ground, from creation itself, reaching a fever pitch. It reached its climax as the seed of the woman, the life, entered into the world. And in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary came life. The Holy Spirit came upon her and life was brought into the world. True life, the life which was the light of man, the life through which all life came into being. Real life, not propagated death and curse, not another Cain, but real, never-ending, abundant life. And what did that great dragon, that serpent, that death dealer tried to do to this life. He did what he's always done. He tried to end it. He attempted the same trick from the garden. He tempted Jesus as he walked in the wilderness. But this new Adam wouldn't fall. He wouldn't listen. He kept speaking words of life he kept preaching worse than that he had the power of life he healed the sick he cleansed lepers. he stopped the flowing of blood he cast out demons he even raised the dead but those sons of cain sons of their father the devil that were at work tried to stop him they tried to speak against him To condemn him. But he spoke all the more clearly. Woe to you. For you build the tombs of the prophets. Whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses. And you consent to the deeds of your fathers. For they killed them. And you build their tombs. Therefore also. The wisdom of God said. I will send them prophets. And apostles. Some of whom they will kill and persecute so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. The life of all the righteous was crying out. Creation itself was groaning, all looking for, seeking, desiring the day of redemption, the death of death, the defeat of the devil. And here was life, standing against that serpent, standing against these canes. Only one could be left, death versus life. But what did they do to the Lord Jesus? They did what he said they would do. They killed him. Just as Cain thought that he could kill Abel. So they crucified the Lord of glory. And death thought that it had won. Darkness blotted out the sun. His side was pierced and blood with water poured out. But life is in the blood. And this was no ordinary life. It was not life dependent, like all others had been. It was not life given. This was life itself, the life. They thought that they could kill the Lord and giver of life. They thought that they could blot out the Son of Righteousness they thought that by spilling his blood they would win but that blood trickled down and became an everlasting stream it poured out the side of this temple that they thought that they could tear down and it began to flow to the east to the west to the south to the north it flowed out a trickle but it became a stream it became a river it became a flood still it rises The life that was in the beginning. The life which enlightens all things. You can't stop it. Was life swallowed up by death? No. Death was swallowed up by life. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? That life which soaked into the ground, that body which was sowed like a seed in the ground. It cried out. It rose up. It couldn't be contained. The true life of mankind rose up from death, having crushed the head of its dealer. Death may be a judgment, but he is the judge. And you who have been fearful of its power, who have followed after the murderer Cain in his father the devil, those of you who have listened to the voice of the devil and taken judgment into your own hands, if you will repent and believe in the promise of God, you too can be forgiven, just like your father Adam. You too can be reunited to true life, to be covered in it, to be clothed in it, to be filled, to overflowing with it. You can wear Jesus' life just as Adam and Eve wore the animal skins. You can be washed in his blood, baptized into a flood of life which poured from his side and receive the breath of life and so come alive. Repent and believe and you will have eternal life. Death is a judgment and you are not the judge. That is foundational to understand the sixth commandment. It's not a curse that you get to deal out... ...to try to take that judgment into your own hands. That is a supreme rebellion. Because it's to take what only belongs to God. It's to join Cain. It's to join the seed of the serpent. Death isn't yours... But life can be. You can know and receive life in such a way. And to such an extent that it overflows from you. That you can be a conduit of the life of God. Overflowing, abundant life. Don't take death into your own hands. Take up instead the life that is freely offered to you and you who have been filled to overflowing with that life, the life of Jesus Christ, you are then life givers, propagating the blessing and life of God in your heart, in your words, in your attitude, in your actions, in your laying down of your life just as he did. You can freely give and give and share with others the goodness and the blessing of life in union With the triune God. I know we've not spent a lot of time in the sixth commandment. We will spend more time there. But when God says you shall not murder. Understand that that is because you are a partaker. In the life that he gives. You are to be a giver of life not to take it. To share life not steal it. To bless others not curse them. If you are in Christ, then you have life, which means you're not to be people of death. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we pray that we would know your life and we would know it all the more abundantly today and that each day we would know it all the more and that we would be conduits of your life in this world of death. Help us, Lord. We believe, help our unbelief. Amen.